This week on Dig Me Out. The kind of band I think you'd probably describe as like, instead of all the things they are, you describe them more as all the things they aren't. Tim and Jay review Stoner Witch by the Melvins. Hello and welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. I'm your host, Tim Minichi, and joining me once again, my co-host, Mr. Jason Ziak. Jay? Yes. Yes! <laughs> welcome to the program, Jay. Issue hey. number one. Yes. Thanks Good for evening. joining the roundtable of two. I guess you could still have a roundtable with only two people. It's just the shape of the table. Yeah, so the... Uh... The um, what's his name? Rose shows like that. Is it? What's his name? Uh, Charlie Rose. Charlie Rose show. I think he sits at a round table, but it's just two people. Yeah, can be done. It can be done. Jay, lots of things can be done, and one of those things that can be done is making uh, really heavy music. Jeez, how's that for a segue? Oh, so <laughs> awful. <laughs> King of the Segways. Jay, this week we are going to talk about a band that makes heavy music. They're called Melvins, or the Melvins, however you want to you add the the at the beginning. Just Melvins is fine, or the Melvins. We're going to talk about their album from uh, 1990, I believe, 4, as the albums that we are uh, reviewing are uh, mostly from in uh, this year. We're trying to hit the, uh, you know, the 20 year mark. And we're going to talk about their album, Stoner Witch, which is uh, another album came out the same year. They put out albums on two different record labels uh, during the same year. So this was the second, this was on the, um, when they had their major label deal, this came out on the, on the major label. And, uh, the other one came out on an indie label. So we'll get into all that. But, uh, Jay, tell me about your uh, background when it comes to Melvins. Are you a, a Melvins aficionado, or have you just uh, sort of sampled them from time to time or completely unfamiliar? Uh, mostly sampled. They're one of those bands where they've influenced so many other bands that uh, we probably both like and a lot of mm-hmm. our listeners like you feel obligated to from time to time after hearing interviews with some of the bands you like to, to go back and, you know, give those bands a chance. Um, so I've done that from time to time. Um, I think I've got an album, maybe one of their more recent releases, recent being within like the last 10 years. Right. Uh, nude with boots was one that I bought. Um, and I also got, I've, you know, I'm always a fan of, of different forms of metal at some point. And sometimes my, my interest in that is, you know, more intense than others. And during one of my more uh, intense periods of metal, trying to get into new bands and find new stuff, I, um, you know, spent some time listening to them at that, at that point, probably five or so years ago. Gotcha. So, yeah, I've I've been in and out of the band. I, I don't, you know, I know some about them. I know that the, um, 
they have a kiss fascination, which was probably another reason why I've given them, you know, a listen throughout the years. Um, I know that they were influential to Nirvana amongst a bunch of other bands, like I said. So that's pretty much it. My experience, I have two experiences. My early experience with Melvin's is actually not hearing the music, but in high school. Uh, so we're talking like 91, 92 when I was in high school in Ohio. Uh, I was one of those. So I went to Catholic school just to back up. So I was a little sheltered during my grade school days. So going to high school, I didn't know a lot about, I guess you'd say, underground music. So I was mostly just listening to the radio and whatnot. And um, there was when I moved out to Ohio, there were some, I guess you'd say, stoner guys who were into like metal and stuff like that. And they had like you know the jackets with patches on them and stuff. Stereotypical stoner metal, you know, guys in bands with goatees and shaved heads. I was heads. one of those guys. Yeah. So they had like, you know, patches like ACDC. And yeah. one of them I remembered was the Melvins. They had a, huh. one of the guys had a Melvins patch. So yeah. this was around 91, 92. Yeah. Uh, and um, I remember just being af- afraid at that point to listen to the <laughs> Melvins because I associated all that music with like yeah. the devil <laughs> and like people who worship the devil. So it was like Sabbath, ACDC, Melvins, you know, whatever. I was like, well, that's 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 way too heavy for me to ever listen to. I'll, my brain will explode if I try to listen to that music. And then when I once I got into college and I, you know, Nirvana, you sort of like, you know, open your ears up, hopefully. And um, I I heard some Melvins in college, and then it wasn't until like with you as I sort of got more into heavier bands in the 2000s um when you hear like you know bands like mastodon or um other of like i guess what would you call i guess there's like a new wave of heavy metal mm-hmm. um in the, in the 2000s a lot of those bands reference the melvins and that made me go back and listen to a lot of stuff of theirs primarily the the 90s stuff the the run like stag and um there's a couple other ones that I, I checked out, but this was one of them that I sort of gave a brief listen to uh, back then, and then I didn't revisit it. Uh, although they've always been a band that I've been like, I gotta go listen to more of their stuff. So that's my background with Melvin's. Um, let's talk about the Melvin's actual background and the history of the band. History of the band. So the Melvins were formed in uh, around 1983 by Buzz Osborne, also as King Buzzo, I think is also how he goes. Um, Buzz Osborne on guitar and vocals. Matt Lucan was the original bass player who would go on to play in Mud Honey. Matt and then Mike Dillard would play drums. They all went to uh, the same high school, junior high and senior high, senior high schools in uh, Montesano, Washington. And in the beginning, they were just uh, playing covers of Cream and Jimi Hendrix, and then they started to incorporate hardcore punk. Uh, Dillard left the band, and Dale Crover joined to, in his to take over the drums. And that's when they started um, rehearsing at Crover's house in Aberdeen, Washington. Uh, they started transforming into more of an original band, playing slower and heavier songs. Now, the band has a long history, and they have a lot of lineup changes, mostly at the bass player position. 
Um, but they've incorporated a lot of different players over the years, and I'll get into that. They've also released 22 albums as the Melvins between 1987, when their first album was released, and 2014, where uh, they just now have a new album coming out. It's called Hold It In, and it's, again, Osborne and Crover, but they're joined by Butthole Surfers members Paul Leary and Jeff Pincus. So... Um, on this particular album that we're reviewing, Stoner Witch, Mark Dutram is the bass player. And he played on a number of albums in the 90s. So that's the truncated version of the history of the band for the Melvins. I didn't want to go tra- release by release because we would literally be here for an hour going through mm-hmm. all the releases. And that doesn't even include like side project stuff. And he's done solo albums and they've recorded with various other artists so that would have covered taking a long time. So if you want to suggest an album for us to review, visit the request review page at digmeoutpodcast.com. We did get some Facebook feedback on this record. Scott Russell Hallgram says, Hells yes, Melvin's is my favorite band, and this is probably my in my top five albums of theirs. Sweet Willie Rollbar is probably my favorite song of theirs. Follow that up with, I expect in three weeks you will be able to judge this album among the bank's catalog and said song among same. History of the band's going to take an hour itself. Well, we got around that, Scott, by not talking about any of the individual albums. That's called uh, time saving. We're doing some time saving. And then Troy Colby says, such a great album and an all-time favorite band. I think I saw them four times on tour for this record. One is one of them was when they opened for Nine Inch Nails on the Downward Spiral tour. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. So, so I know they they had a, a lot of opportunities to open for big bands in the '90s. Nine Inch Nails being one of them. They also opened for Tool, uh, one of on Tool's tour for I want to say uh, Anima, which was the 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 big album that came out um, with. Uh, Stink Fist and a bunch of other songs. That was like the one that sort of, I think, got them more of a mainstream audience if Tool ever went mainstream. I don't know. But it was after Undertow. I know that. So that's the history and Facebook feedback for Melvin's. One note on this record the producer is a legendary metal and rock producer. G.G. Garth, or uh, Garth Richardson, who we have encountered before. He did the Curb Dog on the Turn record, which we were both fans of, I believe. Which is, that's going back to like season one or two. I don't remember which one that was. That was a a couple years ago. 
back in our back in the early days. Uh, so he's done Biffy Clyro, mm-hmm. three albums by them. Who oh, I like a lot, Chevelle. Um, I'm just calling out the bands I know. Gallows, I love them. I love that record. Great, Great Britain, Jesus Lizard, Curb Dog, Kick Tracy. Interesting. It was late, late entry in the glam metal era. L7, Mudvayne, Melvins, Nickelback, mm-hmm. Red Hot Chili Peppers, Rage Against the Machine. A lot of stuff on here. Ugly Kid Joe. And most importantly, White Lion's Pride. Most importantly. <laughs> So wow. I mentioned those, that all those albums sound dramatically different. Yeah. Interesting. I mentioned that. Um, so this album came out on Atlantic uh, in October of 1984. They also released in August of 1994, the album prick uh, that was released on amphetamine reptile records. Um, they already had a, so they had a contract with Atlantic and this was their experimental uh, or, or Prick was an experimental record, much more noise-based. And um, King Buzzo, or, or Buzz Osborne, said that Prick is, quote, a total noise crap record, and we did it strictly for the weirdness factor. Complete and utter nonsense, a total joke. So it, in order to release it on Amphetamine Reptile, Melvin's is written backwards, is how they got away with it. So there you go. So that's that album was released, you know, to uh, for whatever reason, is a joke in August, and then they followed that up, you know, a couple months later with Stoner Witch, and this followed Houdini, which was uh, released in '93 on Atlantic, and that album you mentioned, Kiss J, features a cover of "Going Blind" by Kiss. So there you go. Interesting. Okay. So they, them, and uh, Dinosaur Jr. covered that. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. I should check that version out. I don't regret that. So let's talk about the record. Let's talk about Stoner Witch and uh, what we liked, what we didn't like, what worked for us, and what did not work. Um, Jay, I'm going to start out because uh, I think I had you start out last week with Electronic, and I know that was... Uh, difficult for you <laughs> <laughs> i'm just i'm still recovering thank you're you still recovering from that so i'm gonna yes. give you a little more time uh, i'm gonna start out with what worked for me on this record and i'm gonna start out with uh dale crover the drummer i mean his status is kind of legendary at this point in terms of being a hard-hitting drummer but there are so- entire songs where i am completely entranced by his drumming mm-hmm. um road bull track six it starts out with a full band and then it just drops out and it's just him. And you're just like mesmerized by these. He's just doing like drum and or, or kick and snare stuff. Uh, and it's just, I'm just like entranced. I'm just like listening to it. Like, I don't, it's so simple yet. He's just got this awesome groove going on. And he does that in uh, the aforementioned sweet, really roll bar. And there's a June bug, the instrumental track 10, there are just just track after track of him just pounding the drums.
I'm sure that if you're a, you know, super technical drummer aficionado, you're probably not in love with him because he's not doing all these crazy Neil Peart, Mike Portnoy type things, but he's just doing these really cool time shift fills and just crushing the drums in a way that sounds so big and so loud that um, you just become like transfixed on him. So that, that to me is the first thing that worked for me on this record, which was is Dale Crover. Yeah, uh, he's deceptively um, technical, I think. <laughs> uh, he, he does do some fills on here where it's like, um, it sounds like a machine gun, you know? It's like, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, definitely somebody knows what they're doing. So like Road Bull, where it breaks down, it's just kick and snare. There's like a, um, um, he like hesitates. Like he's like a little behind and a little in front on some of the stuff on purpose. And it creates this tension of like, mm-hmm. and the pattern is varied so that, you know, you're like, Oh, this is going to be two snare hits and it's one. And you're like, oh, okay, the next one's going to be one and it's two. And <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you can't, that's what makes it interesting to me is you can't predict what he's going to do, but it's not to the point where it's like, you know, mathematically hurting your mind to try to wrap your head around what he's, what's going to, what's going on. It's just right this clever use of very simple um simple ideas but uh it just it makes that so that that makes it interesting plus he just hits really hard which always sounds good you know yes so yeah i think he's the most interesting part about this band from from this album i've listened to and some of the others i've listened to Another thing that worked for me is um, the variety that's on this record. You know, I've I've sampled, like I said, a, a number of different, mostly '90s records for Melvins in the past, and the thing that I like about this record is there are elements of some of that old school Melvins sort of punk influenced '80s stuff. Then there are the sort of long drawn out weird <laughs> freak out type things that might be you know you might draw comparisons to like i don't know captain beefheart or other avant-garde sort of musicians um i'm thinking of like uh magic pig detective has this three and a half minute long intro that's really could have been its own song and then it kicks yeah. into this sort of punk song after that um yeah. Shivel, has is real slow and moody and uh same thing with uh goose freight train goose freight train sounds like it could be out of a david lynch film like it sounds like it's in blue velvet and you're expecting dennis hopper to show up with his with his uh oxygen tank and (laughs) start 
saying crazy shit. Like, and then you get like these almost southern rock corrosion of conformity riffs on like Queen and Revolve, and that almost has like a old school Metallica James Hetfield vocal thing going on for parts of it. able to like really combine a lot of different sounds and a lot of different aspects of the different parts of this band whereas if i had to listen to a whole album of like goose freight train and shivel and lividity i think i would probably lose my mind but Mm -hmm. sprinkled in here and there and combined with all these big heavy riffs that uh you know osborne and and crover are dialing up it, it makes it sound like a more cohesive record. Like it, I understand more where the weirdness is coming from when the, the heaviness is there too. Yeah. I, um, it was interesting. I, when I was listening to the record, um, as I was doing other things, uh, I really <laughs> didn't like those songs. I felt like in, in that context where I wasn't paying attention and I was just letting the music happen around me. Um, I became impatient with those or I would just totally phase out and forget I was even listening to the record. Um, but when I were more, you know, attentively reviewed it and did notes, I didn't mind it as much maybe because mm-hmm. I understood the concept and I was more engaged on the ride. Um, so I know that you don't always listen to music that way. <laughs> you know, it sort of needs to work right. on both levels. So there's, there's a part of it that 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 type of um material and that approach for them that i'm not necessarily willing to say you know worked for me completely it worked better when i paid attention but uh it's certainly not what they do best mostly because a lot of it doesn't have drums in it you know um those quieter parts the the drums are super minimal and it's mostly like bass Mm -hmm. um which is weird and there's a lot of them on here. You know, there's one, two, three, like four songs like that on here. Um, or at least that one song where it's like three and a half minutes of that. And then, a, you know, upbeat punk style song afterwards. So that's one thing I didn't, you know, didn't really care for. Um, and it's weird in that the, the record starts off really, really strong and up tempo um, tracks one through four all hold together really well yeah and then at five you sort of hit that weird goose freight train song that's a little bit jazzy too
And then it's like kind of a roller coaster ride up and down from that point, you know, up tempo, quiet, up tempo, quiet, up tempo, quiet kind of thing. So um, I was definitely more into the beginning of the record than I was the whole of the end. Um, Revolve, you mentioned Metallica. Yeah, I've, in fact, I think that sequence, um, the vocal comes in there, sounds a lot like Black Era. Metallica like mm-hmm. you told me that was like a demo from that album like just played that little section for me I would have totally would believed you I mean it's even got that like that kind of groove that that record has um, where it's you know breaking thrash metal down into more of a um, a little bit slower kind of groove oriented approach but rock and, uh, yeah and uh, the vocal style on that sounds a lot like Hadfield. How do you describe? I was trying to describe the way that he sings. Um, I couldn't come up with a good term for it, especially when he gets more aggressive because it's not like screaming, it's not what is it? Urgency, kind of like a, huh? He's more urgent, yeah. But it's just kind of stylistically, I was trying to come up with a way to like you know say what he's doing, and I had a hard time describing it. It's like a growl or. Yeah, there's you know a bit I mean? of a growl. That that vocal style, I don't quite know how to describe it. Yeah. I was surprised on the the production, who you said produced it, because to me, all their records always sound the same. Like, they have a very unique way of mixing the band. Like, they'll float instruments around quite a bit. Like, bass sometimes will be in the middle, sometimes it'll be panned more. They'll do the same thing with drums. Like, I'll notice sometimes drums are in the middle, and then sometimes drums are panned. And they have a very distinct sound. Like I feel like I I know I could know their records just on the drum sound alone. So, like sometimes you'll hear a distortion. I don't know if that's you know added distortion or the mic's peaking or what on the drums. And they sound like like the uh, cymbals, like the hi hat sounds like a um, really distinct, like a shaker almost or something like a distant kind of wispy sound as opposed to being like more like big washy um it a, a tone which is just makes the band sound all that stuff mixed together with um the way it's mixed they don't use a lot of guitar overdubs i noticed too which is interesting because the album sounds huge mm-hmm. but when you break it down for the most part it's just like a drummer hitting really hard with a very distinct drum tone and one guitar and one and bass, like that's it. They're not doubling the guitar. Um, he might overdub some leads or something here and there, but it's yeah, really it's, pretty basic. It's really stripped down. I mean, yeah. it's pretty amazing how big and full everything sounds. I mean, that's that's probably the credit to both them as players and then uh, Garth Richardson as a producer getting that full of a sound but as you mentioned you know they kind of sound full on a lot of the records mm-hmm. um i think that you mentioned about the first you know four tracks i wonder if that was maybe not a conscious thing but or, or maybe more subconscious a, a recognition that this was a major label record and it's like you come out with basically four 
I don't want to say straightforward, but for the Melvins, probably four of the more straightforward metal hard rock songs um, that they, you know, could write in terms of Queen, especially Queen, Sweet, Willie Rollbar, and Revolve. You know, you put those three in a row. Then the weird, like you said, then the album gets weird after that, and you kind of don't know where it's going. But to start out the record like that, I mean, I'm kind of wondering if, like, they made the other album prick to sort of get all that stuff out of their system and this could then they're like all right well then these are the songs for the major label release so that they could still put out a a video and they could still you know have a take a a shot hard time though with them saying essentially they put up they know they put an album out that was bullshit like wouldn't you feel bad about people spending money on that (laughs) you know what i mean yeah, I struggle with that too. Like, if you don't really believe in the music, why bother even just... I mean, now you can just put it out for free on your website. Yeah. And just say, here's a download of some stuff that's bullshit, and if you want to listen to it, listen to it. Yeah. It's like people but, who... Especially, yeah, because especially at that time, you wouldn't have gotten word that it was weird. You know what I mean? You would just known like, oh, there's a new Melvin's record out. I love that. I'm going to go get the record. And you get it and be like, what the hell is this? And then have them not stand behind it and just be like, oh, yeah, we were screwing around. It's like, well, dude, I just put 20 bucks down on that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, that that is kind of a... That's kind of a harsh move to to pull. Yeah. <laughs> Especially weird. when you put it on in, in an indie label and, you know, if if you get the first couple of reviews and people are like, this is a garbage record and... This is pointless. You're not doing any favors for that indie label. Like, unless right. you really dislike the people who run it. Right. So why do that? So it, it calls into a couple questions about what's the purpose behind putting a record you don't even believe in out. Another, th- another thing I thought of quite a bit when I was listening to the band is the kind of band I think you'd probably describe as, like, instead of all the things they are, you describe them more as all the things they aren't. You know, because they're like they are a metal band in some ways, but they're not. Um, I think of metal bands either being in one two categories: either they're singing about power or they're singing about anger. Okay, and they're not in one of those two often. Like they're right. almost like you know that they don't adhere to one of those two areas. Um, and then they also they kind of have a sense of humor about them in a weird way. Like I don't mm-hmm. think they write joke songs, but do you get do you get that like sense? I don't know if that's just my, my like knowing of their image and thing and stuff projecting that, but I just get a little bit of a sense of like either a sense of humor or they're not they don't totally take themselves seriously, um, in in some small way. Do you get a sense of that or? Yeah, and it's probably from projecting what sort of we know about the band and having seen interviews with Buzz Osborne and knowing that he's a bit of a character and, you know, has a sense of humor about stuff. It makes me think of the, uh, the hype documentary and he's in there quite a bit talking about, you know, the Seattle scene. He has a lot of funny stuff to say about Seattle music scene. Um, you know, legend has it that he's responsible for basically helping Nirvana come together as a band. Like he introduced Kurt Cobain to, Curse Nova Selich and Dave Grohl. Mm-hmm. So, like, he has this sort of, like, kind of 
legendary status to him as in terms of the whole 90s alternative rock and metal scene. And I think that's that's an important thing is that this is a band that didn't necessarily start out being metal and they sort of forged their own way being a punk band and then playing really slow punk and then that sort of morphing with the Black Sabbath influence and and the you know thrash metal influences of Metallica and and those bands from the 80s and kind of forging their own weird path that it makes sense that they don't necessarily fit when you're trying to describe them as a metal band into any of those sort of metal specific categories because they didn't they weren't born out of being a metal band they started out mm-hmm. as something different and sort of morphed into that and have you know in a lot of ways are their own sort of subcategory of metal mm-hmm. i've i've heard them references sludge pop in a review I'm pretty mm. sure that's the first. That's the, the the only band that's ever been referred to that. I don't know about that. Yeah, I don't hear much pop here. I mean, there's a couple moments where Queen has a little bit of a hook, and Sweet Willie Roll Bar has a little bit of a hook, but that's about it. Like, right. There's no attempt here to adhere to any other kind of pop format on any of the other material. No, and they're not even sticking to it in terms of song structure or anything. Yeah, that's what I mean. I would yeah. just call them sludge then. Yeah. I mean, sludge makes the most sense to me. That sludge metal, sort of subgenre of metal, makes the most sense in terms of like, you know, this is a band that's willing to play real slow and real heavy, mm. and uh, you don't get that out of sort of the mainstream metal bands. So, or or more more well known metal bands. Mm-hmm. So, let me ask you this: we haven't we haven't done this in a while, but. Uh, you know, this was backed by Atlantic. They had uh, big fans in Nirvana. Unfortunately, Kurt Cobain was dead at this point. But before this, they had put out Houdini and other records. Um, Melvin's never caught on as a mainstream, you know, act. Mm. Do you think that if this was coming out today in the in the land of the new alternative metal scene, that this would fare better or is this just still too weird oh good question um i think it would do much better there's no doubt about that i still feel like the quiet sections would need something else going on oh the bands that we kind of talked about the mastodons and the baronesses and those sorts of bands torch and all that sort of stuff they'll get quiet but there's almost like a a little bit of a prog element there Mm-hmm. You know, in that there's usually some layering and gymnastics that eventually occur in some way, shape, or form. Um, they don't go totally noise, you know, or just atmospheric. And this these guys kind of do that at times. So I think that part wouldn't quite work. But I think a lot of the rest of the record would be received pretty well, and I think still pre- pretty original. Um, in terms of uh, really just how they kind of construct things. It's just very unpredictable, I guess is the best way to say it. I think a lot of it comes out of the drumming. Um, and I think it's tra- you know sort of layered over top of everything else or driven from that point with everything else in terms of, uh, you know, they're, they're able to mix it up. So you don't quite, you don't, you don't ever know where they're going to go next or if the song is going to just end. 
know, sometimes right. that happens too, where you're like, oh, cool, they're building something cool here. And it's like, nope, that's it, it's over. <laughs> they just probably yeah. stop. Like, ah, oh, okay, on to the next one. So I think it would work a lot better um, or be a lot more um, successful than it probably was in the 90s. I think people will get it. I concur. I think so as well. Let's talk about our overall ratings on this record, Jay. Worthy album, better EP, decent single. Where are you at? It's a tough one. I'll say worthy album. I think it would be awesome at eight tracks. You know, even if you kept one of the, the you know, the slower, weird, weird songs in here or something. But it just feels like that kind of band. You know what I mean? They should be at a, a 70 style, 40 minute, eight track record. Even at 11, it just feels like, well, I mean, even 11, it's at 49 minutes. So if you could trim it back a little bit, I'd like it a lot more. But, uh, you know, they it, it's easy enough to skip the couple of songs like that. Once you know which ones they are and you don't want to listen to background, you know, like a backwards guitar for four minutes, mm-hmm. you can just skip it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll give it a full rec- uh, worthy record. I agree with you, and I agree with you on the number. I think if this was like eight songs at like 36 minutes, it'd be killer. Yeah. I think, I think you can drop, easily you could drop Lividity and, and Shevel right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Put them on an EP or a single by themselves. And, well, yeah, and Lividity's nine minutes, and Shevel's right. six and a half minutes. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think if you look at, look at the you know Sabbath and the, probably the bands that they're referencing, they were... Most of their records were like four tra- four songs on each side of the record. That's it, done. Mm-hmm. I'm all about th- I'm all about those three or four, you know, per side albums. Mm-hmm. Keep it keep it tight and keep it short and make people want more, not want to cut things off. Yep. So, but this is the CD era as well. So that's that's part of the reason. So uh, two worthy albums for the Melvins. Stoner Witch. Uh, as I mentioned, they have a new record out, so um, be sure to check that out. And uh, this was episode 196, which means, Jay, you know what's going to happen next week? Mm. We're going to have episode 197. No way. Yeah. It's weird and how that works. It is weird how that works. And uh, for episode uh, 197... Believe it or not, Jay, we're going to be talking about another person who's got a new record out. Oh, yeah? In this case, it's Thurston Moore. He has a... Sonic Youth is no more, but he's putting out a new record with a new band. And we're going to talk about his first solo release, Psychic Hearts. Uh, So that's going to be an interesting one. Because I know a little bit of Sonic Youth stuff. Um, I've pretty much sampled every record of theirs, but I wasn't really into a lot of the records except for a few of them. Some of the early 90s stuff and then some of the more recent stuff I actually liked from the 2000s. That's about it. And um, I've only vaguely checked out his... I might. I, actually, the last time I listened to this record probably was was college when we played it at the radio station. So it's going to be an interesting uh, return for us. He's thirsty for more music. Thirsty for for more. There you go. I'm giving you your segue for next week. Thanks, Jay, because I could use some work on those. Sure. Uh, If anyone out there would like to suggest a segue or an album, 
head on over to our request review page uh, at digmeoutpodcast.com and request a review from us. And of course, if you like what you heard, please consider leaving us some positive feedback over at iTunes. For Jay, I'm Tim. That's a wrap. We'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Join the conversation about this episode at digmeoutpodcast.com, where you can find links to our Facebook page and Twitter feed, as well as links to our request a review and merchandise pages. Thank <laughs> you.